honestly all between 15 to 18 like all four of my junior years i was pretty pretty bad in europe i was always like underperforming well perhaps you don't recognize his voice just yet but as one of the big talents coming out of the new generation for the united states you surely will get to know him in the future Matteo Jorgensen joins us fresh off of Paris-Nice today on Bobby and Jens. So we have another young gun from the USA ripping it up across the pond on Bobby and Jens. Matteo Jorgensen, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thank you. My pleasure. Man, I mean, we're so stoked to have you on. I mean, you just got done with Perry Nice. You're talking to us from Nice, France, which I don't know if you know, but like that was my base for, for quite a while. I didn't know that. So, um, yeah, give us a little rundown of, of Perry Nice for you. I understand you um, have a little sickness and an injury lingering from that race and uh, just kind of wanted to get the 411 from the horse's mouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a big week. Uh, yeah, I mean, these these World Tour stage races always take their toll, but this one, especially for me, has has uh, yeah given my body quite the ride. <clears throat> I, uh, yeah, I crashed on stage two in the crosswinds uh, towards the end, and when I crashed, I didn't think it was bad at all. Like, I didn't really feel anything, and uh, even afterwards, like that night in the in, in the bus and stuff, getting checked up, like I just had some road rash and I didn't really find anything. But uh, as the days went on, I started to get like some pretty bad pain in my hamstring. Uh, and with a race like Paranese where it's like every day's, yeah, just a ridiculous load, You, I was just getting worse and worse, basically tighter and tighter in my hamstring, no matter how much I stretched. And I think what happened, well, what the PT thinks happened is like I crashed and somehow like my foot stayed in the pedal and it kind of got torqued and like, or like pulled in a way that it pulled my hamstring super taut, like in a weird direction. And so basically like the connective tissue where the hamstring touches the knee, it like got, yeah, I don't know, uh, damaged. And so now I just have some like bad tendonitis because I basically just raced through the pain for five days afterwards, which was, yeah, probably not the right call, but yeah, in a race, you just have to keep racing. So now I'm dealing with that. And then I also caught the last, some somewhere in the last couple of days, I caught the virus that everyone has, the uh, bronchitis that literally like seven of my teammates have. And I know probably 25 other pros with it right now from Torreno and Perinese. Uh Both races had the same non-covid virus we're all testing negative but we're all super sick with like a really bad cough so uh yeah i'm I'm kind of hit with the double whammy we saw that at Pyrenees, like you lost 60 70 guys right you finished with what 110 riders at the end well i think less even than that i think we finished with like 90 at the end or yeah 59 people finished Perinese this year. 59, there you 59. go. 59. Yeah. So. so maybe 90 started the last yeah. day then. Hey, um, so yeah. Matteo, did you have like a like a doctor telling you how much time you have to take off? Because normally when you have something with your tendon, it, it's just a matter of time to wait and sit it out, right? Yeah. You cannot force it. You cannot do any surgery on it. 
Yeah. Is there any, any any good news for you? Well, when are you able to go back on a bike or maybe home trainer easy for an hour maybe? Yeah, uh, I don't really know. I went to the physio yesterday, a guy in Monaco, and uh, he thought it was not tendonitis and thought it was maybe just like some bruising that hadn't really come down. And he did some like intervention work and then told me to ride today and I did an hour today and it was still really bad. Um, so probably a few more days off even, I would say. I could foresee at least a week off. Uh, it's pretty, it's like still swollen, you know, we're six days, six days out from my last, my last stage. And it's still like pretty, pretty red and swollen. Um, so yeah, just have to wait. That's the only thing to do. Yeah. It's so, it's, that's one of the tricks that you learn with age and obviously you're, you're, you're quite young. Um, patience is, is difficult, especially with, with injury and, and sickness and, all I can suggest is is make sure you're ready to go before you start pushing it again. Because like you said, that, that crash happened on stage two, and then you were ripping it up. You know, you got third on a stage. You were in the Young Riders yeah. jersey. And, and Jens and I know that race yeah. quite well. And there is no faking yeah, yeah. that race. So, man, you showed some mega resilience there in mind over matter. Because if that was an issue and it was just getting worse... I can only imagine how bad it was in order for you to have to stop. But, um, man, let's, let's talk about you living in Nice. I'm so curious because let's just say when I moved there in 1997, you know, cell phone, we didn't have smartphones. If I wanted to write or communicate to my girlfriend, who's now my wife for the last 28 years, I would have to like send a fax because it was just too damn expensive to talk on the phone. But like, yeah, what, what brought you to Nice? Who was your, I guess, um, you know, little influencer there? Yeah. Uh, I mean, nowadays it seems like there's two choices for pro cyclists. Like you either go to Girona or, or some of the guys come to Nice. Um, I came to Europe on the development team for AG2R, so that was kind of my inlet to the U23 scene here. I got a ride there and was able to come over, and I lived in Chambry, which is in the Alps, for a year uh, on the Devo team there. And so there I learned French and, and lived basically with like 12 French guys for a year, and none of them spoke English, so I learned French pretty quick. And to me, it felt pretty... It felt a little easier to just stay in France. And um, my friend Will Barda, who I've been racing with since I was a kid, he's from Boise as well. And he was already living in Nice with Ian Boswell. And Boswell was actually the year that I went pro with Movistar off of Chambry, off of the H2R team. Boswell was kind of on the verge of retiring because of some concussion issues. So Will was looking for a new roommate and yeah, it just kind of worked. It just kind of worked perfectly. I basically just uh, got a rental truck and moved my stuff from Chambry to Nice, and uh, yeah, it was super easy actually. And then Will and I moved apartments together to another place, and yeah, it's been it's been great. So I'm super glad actually that I chose Nice instead of Girona personally. I think the riding is yeah a, lot, a ton better and. Culturally, I think it's it's quite nice too. So I'm very very happy to live here. I remember when I showed up as an Neopole in France, and you want to go to the bank to open up a bank account, right? So you could get paid, and the <laughs> bank asks you for an address. Yeah. So you go to the 
Agence Immobilier to rent a place and they ask for a bank account, right? <laughs> yeah, and the yeah. guarantee that you have been paid for the last three months. But you are bloody neo-pro. It's January. <laughs> you haven't been paid yet at, at least once. Right. How, did you, how did you work out all that? Did you have friends or you just had to fight your way through it? Yeah, my God. That, there were some times there my first year with, with Chambry that I was just... Yeah, like all those bureaucratic issues, getting my visa, getting all these things worked out were like, uh, I'm, I'm thinking back now, it was just ridiculous. Yeah, basically I had some help from AG2R, thankfully. Uh, they were able to help me, like they got me an account at Credit Agricole uh, set up and then I was able to get a like a student uh, kind of talent visa through them because I was a stagiaire for AG2R that year and Yeah, thankfully I was with like a pretty uh, established, you know, French, uh, I don't know what you call it, but yeah, a French, a French group that had some, had some ins at places and helped me a lot because there's a lot of American kids that are on other, you know, um, French development teams because I kind of like convinced a lot of guys to do it because it seemed like a good pathway and a lot of them have a lot more trouble because they're with teams that don't have the same uh, connections and yeah it, it's a real struggle with the french french bureaucracy yeah, that's the one one major downside oh man you're 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 speaking to the choir there every year after perry nice um i would get together with anybody who didn't have a plane out which was not that many because that's another great thing about living in nice is the airport is yeah. is awesome you know i think i've saved probably three months of my life um, flying back to Nice directly after a race because there was always a flight back to Nice compared to, you know, some other airports where you'd have yeah. to stay the night. But those guys that would stay the night, I'd be like, hey, you guys, you know, I need to take you out to dinner. And there was a Mexican place called Texas City. And from the very beginning of, say, I'd say 19... 99-ish, definitely by 2000. Um, guys like Chris Boardman, um, Yenzi, of course, uh, he, he, he came quite a bit. We had Bradley Wiggins, Matty wow. Breschel, Baden Cook, Bradley McGee, Stuart O'Grady, and we just went and kind of decompressed. Is, you know, I know that you didn't have a chance to do something like that this year because, you know, you had to stop the race and then we're sick. But what is your favorite kind of chill out, relax, let your hair down restaurant in, in Nice? Man, that's a good, uh, that's a funny story. I mean, yeah, you were lucky that they had a Mexican place. I haven't been able to find one that meets, uh, meets my standards for Mexican food enough to where I'd eat there. Uh, There's one place, there's one Mexican place that's decent called La, La Lupita, I think, but I, I don't know. I, I have a few different places. There's actually, I, I'm just about to move into a new apartment in kind of the center and on this little like triangle um, square called Place du Pont. And there's a little Greek, uh, Greek place there that I really like called Kalos. Um, and you can basically get like a pita for like five euros after your ride and Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to living there. I basically will live like right above it almost. And I'll, I think uh, it'll be a nice recovery, uh, recovery pita after a hard ride. Uh, that's, yeah, that's what I'm looking forward to. Did you have time to explore the city a little bit, like uh, do some hiking or jump in the sea when it's warm? Of course, not now. 
or are you just train and then just chill and relax or <coughs> you actually go out and meet people explore the city or yeah yeah no definitely my first couple of years here uh i spent like the off season here twice already so yeah i spent a lot of time kind of exploring the city and and yeah doing a lot of Uh, kind of like backpacking and, and hiking around the back back country of Nice. Just this last off season, my brother and I took the ferry to Corsica and we did half the GR20, which is like a pretty famous uh, backpacking trail like across Corsica. And yeah, that was incredible. I, I like, yeah, it's honestly pretty stunning the the mountains just behind Nice. Like I'm always shocked every time I go for like a six five to seven hour ride back there it's like you're just so it's so, so empty you know it's like an incredible place to train i'm just like probably one of my favorite places in the world you're making me home so <laughs> homesick right now um especially when you mention we we called them when i lived there uh, we called those pitas yeah. we called them the kebabs and man i would get a kebab anytime i could and I tested kebabs in probably 20 or 30 places, and I just hope when I do get back there, I mean, that will be one of my first stops for sure. I don't know how much Nice has changed in the last five, six years since I haven't been there, but um, I will go and, and, and uh, find that, that, that favorite place because it, it was just like yeah. a bakery, you know, like you had to try every bakery because all the bread is different, all the croissants yeah. are different. So I always had my my favorite places. So if I'm I'm back there, I'll I'll give you a <laughs> buzz. Um, man, memories, dang, dang, and you're absolutely right, man. I'm so happy that you're taking advantage of the the region. I think that was one of the things that I didn't do um, until much much later. And even then, you know, I was so busy or so stressed about, you know, if you're standing, you should be sitting. If you're sitting, you should be laying down. But there is so yeah. much to do. Yeah. on the Côte d'Azur and it is one of the most magical places in the world and you got Monaco right up the road you got Cannes right down the road you got all these amazing villages and like you said the the climbs you I mean you, it's just non-stop right yeah yeah the 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 road density is what's shocking here like it, I'll be riding in the mountains and it'll be like I, I'll have no idea why they paved a climb to a certain village like a lot of these villages will have four roads leading to it like a village on top of a mountain will have four different roads leading to it all paved like uh, beautifully with switchbacks and it's like why is that even necessary like this village probably has 50 residents you know and like decreasing every day it's like they're completely abandoned but the The amount of like roads is yeah it's it's crazy you can do like a different route for for months on end yeah absolutely but you know now that you're such a seasoned professional you know you're in your third year at movistar <laughs> i kind of want to hear about young 16 17 year old mateo jorgensen and his first trip over to europe Do you remember, you must have been with the national team, I would I would assume? Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely far from a seasoned professional. But, um, but yeah, I think my first, uh, I think my first trip to Europe was probably with hot tubes. I guess I went to Ireland, so it's kind of like halfway Europe. It's like the English-speaking uh, English part of Europe. We did junior tour of Ireland, and then I think after that I did some Kermes trips. This is when I was like 15 even, I started going over. Uh, my first year when I, when I was 15 and I did Tour of Ireland and then I went across to Belgium and I did like the 
probably three or four weeks of kermesses with um, the national team at the time. Um, and yeah, I mean, I was a pretty average junior, I would say. I just didn't really have like, I could, I, I thought I, I always thought I had an engine, but I never like, I never had enough power really to, to win a race, especially in Belgium or like in any of these places. Like I was a pretty small twiggy guy and yeah, I would get beat up in Belgium. I think honestly all between 15 to 18, like all four of my junior years, I was pretty, pretty bad in Europe. I was always like underperforming. I'd do well in the U S in races and then they'd bring me over on like a trip for junior nations cup block and we'd have some expectations and I would just be like, shit, I would, yeah, I'd do super badly. Cause I mean, it's crazy. The difference in level between when, when I would, you know, do a race in the U S and, and be, you know, one of the best guys, every stage of a stage race and, you know, be whatever top five, four stages in a row. And then I go to a nation's cup in Europe and like, I was racing against these guys, I was racing against Pogachar and, you know, Mark Hershey, I remember was super good as a junior, all these guys that are, you know, incredibly dominant now. And as juniors, like they were already pretty dialed with all this stuff, you know, like they clearly had a lot of these things nailed, like training and, and nutrition and a lot of these things that I had no idea about. Um, and so, yeah, basically my, my juniors were spent just like getting, getting pummeled in Europe. Uh, I never really never got got over it. I mean, thankfully the national team kept giving me chances into the U23 years because they saw something and I was able to, you know, as a U23 develop my body developed a little more and I was able to like start surviving races and at least getting some sort of promising results to to, you know, get things moving forward, but yeah, as a junior I I didn't really show anything out to well, I would say it's it's also the the, the difference the the way things are made or built. I mean, I remember when I would go to Tour of California, the peloton would be like 125 or 127 riders. We could, I mean, your roads are that large. You could <laughs> almost ride all next to each other on yeah. the same road. You yeah, know, yeah. and in Europe, you probably have never seen cobblestone because in the US, all your roads are paved. Right, yeah. you've probably never seen cobblestones. Then you come to Belgium, crosswinds, cobblestones, mud. You know, it's just different. It takes time to get used to that, I suppose. Definitely. And as long as your your body physically shows the numbers, like the power output, you know, the the what, uh, the the power per per weight ratio, then I guess yes, they give you a chance. And it just takes time to get used to more pressure, more fighting with the elbow, smaller roads, and all that. Yeah. Um, so. We happy you're still there, my friend. <laughs> yeah, no, me too. I, I think that's definitely a lot of it is, is the difference in infrastructure. Like you said, like it changes how races are raced so much here. And and I think, it, yeah, it took me like it, it took me four years to kind of start to figure it out. And as U23, I think I'd actually I was quite glad that I wasn't super like, uh, you know, a super talent as a junior, because a lot of these guys like, uh, you know, I remember Brandon, I was on these trips with him as a doing kermesses and he would literally win five, six kermesses in a row because he would just attack and just ride away solo and he wouldn't even be part of the race. You know, he would just win solo, almost lapping the field a lot of times. And it was like, I'm actually quite glad that I wasn't that good as, you know, at that, at that age, because I kind of had to learn like how to, how to manage myself in the group and like how to uh, use the little watts that I had to kind of to figure it out a little bit. Um, and yeah, I think it's, it's paying off a bit now and I feel quite comfortable positioning and, 
and the fight, you know, in these world tour races, I actually feel like is less than like what I remember the fight was in the U23 races. And so I think that's quite a, yeah, it's quite a positive thing. If you want to get more out of your free time, sign up to Outside Plus. For less than a dollar a week, you can get six print and digital issues of Peloton Magazine, exclusive membership content from Bellinews.com, access all the premium content from the whole outside family, including Yoga Journal, Backpacker, Ski, Outside Magazine, and many others. And that's not all. There are discounts of the hottest gear and biggest events, access to Gaia, GPS, and trail forks, as well as virtual health and fitness courses. It's $350 of value in one $99 annual subscription. But if you head to valuenews.com forward slash outside plus and enter BJPOD25, all one word, lowercase, at checkout, you'll receive our special 25% discount and make a good deal. Great. And now back to our chat with Matteo. So question, because like doing research, it says that you're one meters 90. So what is that? Like six, four, six, three, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Six, three. Yeah. And, and you described yourself as a, a scrawny little guy during this period. Yeah. Uh, you know, cutting your teeth. You're a tall glass of water, my friend. <laughs> when did you have like some major yeah. growth spurt? Yeah, I did. Yeah. When I was super, I mean, I guess I was always a little bit tall, definitely not super tall for my age, but I was super small as a kid. Like I had no muscle mass at all. Uh, I mean, not saying I do now, but like just in, since probably I started, like my body really started to develop at like 20. So like two years ago, even maybe 19, 19 to 20, my body made like the big jump in development that I guess a lot of guys get at like 17, probably. I think I was like three, four years late. Uh, and yeah, I've, I grew probably five inches or something in a couple, in a couple of years. And I, I went from like, 60 kilos to now I'm like 72. So like 12 kilo difference, you know, I, it completely changed the type of rider I, I, I am. I, like until, until I was 19, I was pure climber. Couldn't do anything else. Uh, literally had no other, no other ambition or anything else. I mean, that was the only thing I could ever think about. And then, yeah, my body kind of changed and my, yeah, now it's like, I don't think that's, I don't think I'm at the point where I can even be a pure climber in my weight. So I have to kind of look at other areas. Talking about that and your development, where did you see yourself going or where do you want to go? You want to be an all-rounder, like, like trying to win one week stage races, like Pernice one day. Hmm. You, you hope for the big Tour de France potential in yourself. Or I might be just a classics rider, one-day rider. Where do you think the, the voyage will go? Yeah, uh, it's a pretty good question that I, yeah, I get a lot. Uh, and I, don't, I still don't know how to answer it, really. Um, I think the only thing I can say is that I feel like most comfortable and my strongest on climbs. Like, I guess I've always trained in the mountains and always lived around the mountains, so... I kind of just feel 
like a climber inside, but it's just, uh, yeah, like physics wise now it's, I'm, I'm coming up against a wall, like watts per kilo to get, to get to, uh, you know, whatever these guys are doing 6.7 a kilo. It's like, I got to do a lot of Watts. Um, so yeah, I think I'm, I'm exploring some other, some other things that with the team, like I've asked them to just kind of give me like, uh, starts in almost every type of race. Like my first year with Mobistar, I kind of did like some Belgian class. I mean, COVID kind of stopped a lot of it, but I was supposed to do kind of full classics, uh, campaign and then, do some one week stage races and yeah, the team has seen that I could do well in classics, but at this point they kind of want to try to make me into a one week, uh, stage race rider just because I have some qualities that might, you know, I might be able to get there. Um, some of these races, yeah, like Perry Nice where it's like, you only have one, one mountaintop day or something where it's like, okay, I'll lose some time, but not too much. And maybe I can get it back in another place. Um, but yeah, Grand Tours, GC, definitely not. Uh, <laughs> I saw at the Giro last year what, what that would take to be a GC rider at a Grand Tour. And yeah, I was pretty shocked at, at how, uh, yeah, at how difficult that, <laughs> that looks. That's like one of the, yeah, one of the most difficult things yeah I've ever seen, uh, how much those guys have to suffer every day and, and just how like, yeah, you just have to be pretty much a pure climber, I think nowadays to do that. So I think, uh, I think somewhere like a one week stage racer and, and going for stages, uh, in, in grand tours or even going for some one day races, I think those were all kind of up my alley, but I was still would like to just kind of race uh, almost everything for a while and see kind of what I really like. That, that was the cool thing, really kind of digging into you, uh, prior to the podcast today is that, you know, you, you've done a grand tour already, you've done Paris-Roubaix, you know, you've you've done these hard week stage races, you, you know, you're, you're six, three on Movistar. I mean, you have basically every opportunity and I would just say, man, take your time. Like you said, you were a little bit of a late bloomer. You're just kind of finding your feet now. Like I would not put any, any limitations on any of those disciplines because it just seems like you've got, you know, such immense talent. But when it comes to signing on a team mm -hmm. like Movistar, um, you know, I look back at the 2019 Tour Avenir. You know, you must have made a very big impression there. Uh, you know, you finished 17th overall. You were climbing very well. You won the points competition. I mean, you were racing against guys that we see in the World Tour with you now, like Bessinger, Tom Pidcock, Tobias Foss, Mari Van Sevenant. Um, was that the race that really got Movistar interested? And if so, like, what was that contract negotiation process like? Yeah, uh, no, Avenir was a huge step um, for me. I think actually Movistar was interested interested before uh, Avenir. They, they got interested after Izard that year, which was a smaller, um, a smaller French stage race in the Pyrenees. And I think they yeah basically wanted an american guy and didn't yeah they just wanted a guy who could adapt to europe a little bit and i kind of fit that bill i was already in a french team and they didn't want a guy who like you know wasn't comfortable in europe and and wouldn't adapt to the language because yeah i mean the team only speaks spanish so 
they were interested in, in me there. And then uh, they actually made me an offer before uh, Avenir even started. But I, to be honest, wasn't ready mentally to be a professional before Avenir. I, I didn't think, like, in my head, I just didn't have the confidence that I'd be a good pro or that I would, you know, make it as a professional. I just, yeah, I didn't think that I kind of had the <clears throat> physiology to, to do it yet. So I wanted to maybe spend another year under 23 uh, before I did Avenir. And then, yeah, after I did, I, I came into Avenir with some definitely, yeah, good form and, and surprised myself a lot because I'd had, I had an injury at, at U23 Roubaix that year and, and didn't really think that I'd be ready in time for Avenir, but it came around and yeah, I did some surprising rides there and kind of, I think, more it, it helped me mentally understand like I was with all these guys that I knew would be good pros and that like I'd, I'd already seen racing you know super well as juniors and super well as under 23s and they were being signed yeah like Pitcock was going to Ineos and these guys that I knew would be top professionals and I you know I was racing with them comfortably so it kind of was a big step for me in thinking like okay I can do this I can be a pro and and then, yeah, uh, right after Avenir, I signed with, with Movistar. And, uh, yeah, AG2R was, was quite uh, displeased because they felt that I had kind of, uh, yeah, gone, gone, behind their, gone behind their back. But, uh, yeah, I was quite glad to, to go pro. And, and for me, it was a big step because, I mean, I was pure amateur on, on the AG2R Devo team. Like, I wasn't making any money and... And my parents, you know, I'd have to ask them for money. And, and yeah, it was just a brutal year in, in France that year and living with, yeah, basically nothing. We, like, lived in in uh, what was, like, low-income housing uh, in Chambéry because we were sponsored by the, the city of Chambéry. And they, they basically just housed us in there, what they would give to, like, you know, uh, like, people that, that just needed housing. So we just lived, like in the slums in Chambéry and it was a yeah a brutal uh brutal year that really like made me hungry to be a professional and and so yeah I was quite glad that I actually did go pro and especially because that year I went pro and then COVID hit and I had a two-year contract so I was like oh my god that's that's like a very lucky uh decision that I made or maybe not lucky but I was just glad that I had had not waited a year under 23. I I must say, or I wanted to say, yes, absolutely the right decision because I met people during my career and still now young kids. They go, oh, I'm going to wait one more year. I want to become under-23 world champion. I want to do this, this, this first. And then they have a stupid crash. They break a leg and they never get a chance to become pro. When you get the chance, it might be the only one chance in your life. Grab it with both hands and yeah. hang on to it. Right, so absolutely the right decision. And now, I'm curious, tell me, when you had the first training camp in December with Movistar, and yeah. you walk into the breakfast room, and Alejandro Valverde sits there, the guy <laughs> is longer pro than you are alive. <laughs> Were you starstruck? At yeah. least a little? Oh my God, yeah, yeah. I was super, I was super nervous. I mean, at that point, I didn't even speak Spanish either. I just learned French and was just starting to learn Spanish. So, yeah, I remember that training camp pretty distinctly, like going there and being, yeah, just an unknown, like neo-pro guy. And yeah, I remember like I was put in the group for some reason of like the tour group, just like randomly. I think they just put the neo-pros in like random groups and 
and I was with like Enrique Valverde on training rides and just like, you know, I would say nothing the whole ride and say nothing at the meals and would just like be back there wearing like AG2R kit. And they're like, who, you know, who is this kid? But no, I mean, great, great opportunity with Mobistar because it's like now thinking, thinking about it now, it's like I, I know two languages now just from like immersion and I didn't really have to put in like <clears throat> so, so much effort to learn either of them. It's like, both of them have come naturally just from from being around uh you know guys speaking the language so much and yeah i'm super grateful for that yeah you 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 make me jealous you must be like a parrot because it took me a long time to learn french and um even at my best most fluent french it was definitely caveman french so now you got french and spanish that you're able to habla <laughs> or parlay but uh, I, I have to say, man, so much respect for, for how you've done it. Like what you just described of having to grind, I think, is, is just ingrains confidence, ingrains resiliency. And, you know, I have to say, it's been so exciting watching you and the other young guns from the USA. You know, you got, you know, yourself... Sepp Kuss, who's a little bit older than you guys, Brendan McNulty, who you said that you raced with as a junior, Nielsen Paulus, who's about your age, you know, and then Quinn and Magnus, who were super young. Um, it is the next yeah. generation, right? And you guys are all on separate teams and you're all doing your own thing. I'm, I'm curious, how close are you guys? And if... Do you think that seeing other guys do it, like Nielsen win San Sebastian, you know, Sepp winning stages in Grand Tours and being like just the 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 last line of defense in the mountains for for Primos, with you know Quinn and 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 Magnus already winning races, does that does that motivate you? Are you guys like? that close where you're kind of feeding off each other yeah no i definitely well i think it depends uh, we're all different years and and stuff like that i mean brandon and i raced as juniors in europe and we were on yeah the national team a lot together but a lot of these guys i don't know super well um but no i can definitely say at least personally that i'm always incredibly motivated when i see like another american guy you know, win a race or just do an impressive, like an, a performance that impresses me in the race or something where I'm like, okay, yeah, that's definitely like, uh, you know, that was a real ride or something that, yeah, is, I mean, those things always have an impact on me. And, and I think like a lot of the reason that we've had these, this like kind of upswing of American talent right now in the, in the pro tours, a lot of it's because of like the, you know, your generation of guys, you know, racing and, and winning, races when we were kids and watching tv and it's like we kind of have these surges because it's like a generation of guys with like lance and you and and george will come through and you know be winning races and we'll see it and it'll inspire a bunch of kids in the u.s to start riding and then you know maybe it goes away for a while and then it comes back and yeah so i think we have like a solid group here of of talent and i think also a lot of it's just come down to the national team that is now struggling a bit but i mean the opportunities that we were given to race in europe as as a kid were yeah invaluable like coming over at 15 16 and and learning and seeing what the level is here like it just it kind of changes your mentality and makes you think like okay do i actually want to be a professional cyclist or not and 
and that sort of stuff isn't really happening right now just because uh, the national team is pretty underfunded and we don't really have trips for junior guys. So I'd like to see that come back. But um, I definitely think the, the current crop of Americans is, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty uh, quality right now. I, I really do hope so that just as you said, the guys, they are doing well now. They're young. So you probably give us another 10 years of great results. Hopefully that sparks more interest in the U.S., more TV interest, more sponsor interest, and there's better founding. And hopefully we will have maybe one or two stage races back on a calendar. That would yeah. be great, right? Yeah, I mean, you racing in front of your home crowd, wouldn't that be a dream? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's so sad that there's no American races now. It's like... Yeah, it sucks. I don't know how to how to fix that problem, but yeah, if if yeah, if there could be a you know tour of California could come back or even Utah or Colorado, that'd be huge. I think. Yeah, our generation was definitely spoiled with amazing race calendar over in the U.S. And then the like you said, the junior national team trips. Uh, it was the United States Cycling Federation, not USA Cycling back then, but it was very well funded and the opportunities that they, they gave us. And then when you layer in races like the, the Tour de Pont, the Tour de Trump, um, racing against the top European pros over on our soil, yeah. it made it seem a little bit more real. But, you know, the way that you did it, and y you mentioned something earlier about suggesting to certain other riders to come over to France. Um, I know that Riley Sheehan is is doing it. What other guys did you influence to come over and try to like cut their teeth a little bit in the same fashion that you did that maybe we haven't heard of, but maybe you're going to be coming out in the next year or two? Yeah, definitely. A lot of guys um, reached out to me kind of when I went through Chambry and, and eventually went pro. Like because of it, there's I think Velo News did an article kind of about, uh, I guess, how I did it. And yeah, it made a lot of guys kind of rethink what they were doing, like as juniors. Um, <clears throat> a lot of the guys were, like a lot of my friends, even as uh, as juniors and under 23s, uh, they were staying on American continental teams. So, uh, I mean, nothing against them, but they would, you know, reach out to me and kind of ask me, like, do you think that I could go pro, like racing with some of these American continental teams and like I was just being honest with them and, and saying like I don't know how like in what pathway you could possibly do it nowadays because there just wasn't there just aren't races in the U.S. where you could like win them and get attention from a, <clears throat> a professional team so I, I mean I would kind of just tell them like honestly if, if you want to be a professional like if you like if that's what you want to do then you have to you know you have to come and and get on an under 23 european team because if not like winning redlands like uh, no i mean there's no pro team that i mean maybe ef or something if you want it in a really dominant fashion as a like a 19 year old or something they might sign you but other than that it's like i i, I just don't see a pathway to do it uh from the u.s so yeah i i kind of helped a lot of guys and i i got like i helped this kid eric boy get on on Chambry, the team i was on and uh I, I convinced like four or five different kids to to come over and yeah a lot of them have have come over and now stopped bike racing and that's one thing that's 
hard about it. I mean, it's like not an easy thing to do. Uh, definitely. Like a lot of these guys kind of came over and realized like, okay, this isn't what I want to do. But at the end of the day, I also think like, okay, if, if you come over and you try and you kind of see like, like if you see that you're maybe not like, like cycling and, and doing this for like your whole life, just like training and and resting and that's your whole life if, if if you don't like really like that maybe you know it's a good thing you came over and tried and you saw because you don't have to realize when you're a pro already and and once you already have a career and stuff um so yeah a lot of the guys have come over and yeah guys like you mentioned riley are are on like more more legitimate u23 teams now a lot of the guys that helped came over like they were on uh dn1 amateur french teams which is like a much harder pathway um then like Riley's on a continental team and some of these guys are on continental teams where they can do bigger races and they don't have to <laughs> do like French amateur races and, and hope to get, uh, yeah, noticed from those, which is a bit harder. Um, but yeah, it's, it's still a hard pathway, like doing what Riley's doing. And I mean, doing these small races, like they're still like nasty to try to get a result in them like i don't think i've suffered as much as a pro in any race than i did in some of those races as an amateur like i mean they're incredibly difficult and they're a different type of difficult but they're yeah super super hard to get results in so to come through that way i think you you earn it a bit more and if you do make a pro you kind of know like okay i i think i can can do it um, yeah, I think if it falls in your lap because whatever mom and daddy buys you a sport, you won't last that long. It's a hard sport. And if you have to go the hard miles, you earned it. Just like you said, you earned it, you know, and it makes you more appreciate. Uh, you appreciate it better. You go, okay, I didn't have a good week this week. But hey, imagine I would be in a factory and just uh, like, you know, putting cars together or whatever. I still have a good job. Um, I think you appreciate it much more when you had to fight a little bit for it and your career will last a lot longer, I believe. Do you sometimes look up in the sky and go, dear Lord, why did you put me in the same time with Tadej Pogacar? How <laughs> am I ever supposed to beat him? Is that frustrating? Yeah. Or you go, okay, Pogacar cannot win all the races. I go to other races. I can win my share of races as well. Because, uh, I mean, I see Pogacar, wherever he shows up, he, he wins. And there's yeah. almost nothing people can do to stop him. Is that frustrating? Or you go, look, I'm in a different uh, class, different league, different type of rider. I don't care. Or you sometimes go, why do I have to live in the same time like him? Is that something <laughs> you ever thought? Or is it uh, yeah. uh, just me looking at it from the outside? No, no, I do think about these things. I mean, yeah, uh, there's a few riders like Tade right now that are on an absurd level where I just like, I just think to myself, like, I don't see myself ever, like, no matter how dialed I become, no matter, you know, what age I am or, or, you know, what level I get to, I don't think I could ever reach, uh, yeah, that, that kind of level where these guys are at. And yeah, it's definitely, I mean, I don't know if it's frustrating, but it's just kind of shocking. It's like, you do a race and it's like, wow, like I was, you know, really on the limit and these guys are like, you know, fully nose breathing and, Uh, I mean, I think there's a lot of it just from, you know, these teams are doing, you know, more, you know, their performance centers are better, you know, they're, they have better coaching and, and better, I mean, 
when when you have a bigger budget on a bigger team you you know you have you can afford to hire more staff and and like more staff to where it's like okay they're managed on a way way tighter level where it's like you know i i think i do have quite a bit of margin to improve in a lot of different areas where it's like if i had a guy telling me like you know a bit more specifically on how to eat or how to you know prepare for a time trial how to warm up it's like you know there's a million different you know little things where it's like if a team can hire a staff member to for each of these little details then it i mean the the gain i think is huge so i think uh, you know eventually i would like to kind of um see if i can you know go to a go to a team where where some of it's a bit more dialed and, and see where i'd end up but um for now yeah i mean just have to watch and and try to try to soak up what they're doing i guess well mateo i tell you one thing um it's been great having you on it's been great getting that younger generation perspective and you got you got two fans here sitting sitting across from zoom with you that's for sure and we just want to wish you after you convalesce from your injury and your sickness of course all the best with the remaining part of 2022 and, and into the future. You have a, a bright one. Um, and then based on what you just said about helping the young guys, you know, maybe you already have a career after cycling, you know, 10, 15 years down the road um, in that, in that manager role, in that DS role, in that team manager role, because what you're doing is, uh, is great. So thank you very much for coming on. Thanks guys. I really enjoyed that chat. That was, that was super nice. Thank you. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Huge thanks to Matteo for being our guest. Thanks for listening. And please give us a five-star review and share us with your friends. The show was a Velo News production in association with Shock Giraffe. The producer was Mark Payne, and this episode was edited by Tim Moza. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bobby and Jens and share your cycling stories with us. Mm-hmm.